Welcome in to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. We're the podcast for Vol Basketball fans everywhere. We bring you discussions, debates, and the latest news on the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. Hello everyone and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford and I am joined by Gene Henley as always here for another episode of the podcast. We really appreciate all of you tuning in for this episode. If this is your first time here, welcome in. We're happy to have you on board. Share this podcast with your friends, family, any Vol fans you may know, anyone who likes college basketball, SEC basketball, uh, share it with them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and on Podbean as well. And really appreciate all of you who have followed us and liked us on Twitter and Facebook already. And if you haven't yet, please go do so. We're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Again, thank you all so much. And Gene, this will be, I think, an interesting one. We're going to have a, a, a men's discussion and then a women's discussion because the Lady Vols made another big move um, since we last talked. And I think it's definitely worth talking about and, and mentioning and breaking down a little bit. But I also wanted to build off here and, and start with the men's side of things and talk about, you know, it's been a very busy past few weeks for Tennessee basketball on the men's side and women's side. Um, but I saw earlier today where Andy Katz of NCAA.com that released like a something like the the best roster moves. Let me pull up the actual tweet here. Um, is a graphic he or I guess NCAA.com tweeted out of the roster winners of the week of uh, talking about you know best moves and, and best additions and just best you know outcomes for the rosters. Um, top ten of the last I guess it says of the week, but it says offseason week two. I don't think. I guess technically a roster is a week two from the end of the um, end of the NCAA tournament. But it mentioned Tennessee adding Justin Powell and John Ferguson coming back. I don't think it mentioned actually the recruiting hall Tennessee has gotten, but Tennessee's ranked number four in the top ten. Tops in the SEC, you have Villanova, Texas, Illinois, Tennessee, and Florida in your top five there. Um, but that got me to thinking, and I sent in a poll this in from the Vol Hoops Fever Twitter account asking Vol fans which – Vol basketball newcomer, are you most excited to watch this upcoming season? And the comment of their choice below if it wasn't in the poll. In the poll, it included Justin Powell, Kennedy Chandler, Brendan Huntley Hatfield, and Jonas Adu. Um, and a few people did comment Jemai Bay Shack, which I thought was cool. Um, actually, like three people commented Jemai Bay Shack, which I thought was, was cool. But so far, as of the time of recording this podcast, there's been 230 votes. And I'm a little surprised by this. I don't know if it'll surprise Eugene, but I'm a little surprised that Kennedy Chandler, like, has run away with it. He's gotten almost 72% of the vote on here. Uh, second is Brendan Henley Hatfield with 17%. Justin Powell with 7 And then Jonas Adu with basically 4%. I expected Kenny Chandler to win that poll or, you know, be the, the, the one that most people chose, but I didn't expect it to be like over, well over two thirds, almost three fourths of the vote going to Kenny Chandler. And that got me thinking, Gene, of these so far, there may be another new addition, you know, sometime this off season. But so far, of these six new additions to Tennessee's men's basketball roster for the upcoming season, which one do you think is going to have the biggest impact on the team this year? Is it is it as cut and dry as it's going to be Kenley Chandler because he's going to be the main ball handler and he's going to play, you know, anywhere between 25 to 30 minutes a game? Or could it be a Justin Powell? Does he start? You know, I, I, we haven't really talked about how, kind of how we see the potential, like, starting lineup slash minute um the allocation going for this team this year, but I mean, Justin Powell could start, but he's also going to have a lot of competition there with Josiah Jordan James, with Viscovi, with Victor Bailey, as far as, you know, at the two and the three, 
um, and, and, and being a shooting guard slash point guard slash, I mean, he's not, he's not really going to be a small forward, but I don't know. It, he, there's going to be competition there. I don't think it's a, a dead uh, giveaway that he's going to start, but I think he does play a lot. Huntley Hatfield has a lot of talent, but again, you have Fulkerson there at the four. You imagine Huntley Hatfield's going to play at the four, maybe some three, but then again, you have Josiah Jordan James there. And I think I do is the obvious one that I, you know, I think he'll play, but I'm not expecting him to really, really, you know, have a, a, a huge amount of minute allocation or anything like that. So I'm, I'm curious before I, I share my thoughts on it and, and kind of bounce off what you have to say, but is it in your opinion just a, a cut and dry thing that Kennedy Chandler is for sure the guy who's going to have the biggest impact? Or do you think someone like Justin Powell or Huntley Hatfield could, could you know, have a, you know maybe even an equal impact on the team this year? Ooh. Um, well, I think if... God, like it's funny because I want to I, I want to look at it that the person that could potentially have the biggest impact is I almost wanted to say like a John Fulkerson, who obviously is a person from last year, but he's also kind of a new piece that they may not have expected. And if you read some things, he wasn't planning on coming back. Yeah. And if, and if you uh, get the Fulkerson from a couple years ago, it would be a new addition considering how he was last year. Right, and obviously there were reasons for that, but I mean, you, you obviously just looked and you saw a different version of who he was, and but I mean, the way that Tennessee plays, I, I would probably lean a little more towards. Um, I would probably lean towards um, Kennedy Chandler. I mean, just because uh, you you have to. Actually, know what? I'm not going to lean there, and I have a reason for that. Okay. I'm going to lean more towards uh, Justin Powell, and I, and I say that because for this is always going to be my argument. If people listen to the SEC podcast that we did before this turned into Evolve podcast, I always try to lean towards one thing: for you to reach your goals as a team your best player can't be a freshman. Can't. Can't. He can be a sophomore, a junior, whatever the case may be. Uh, I mean, if you look through all the years of uh, of champions in the NCAA tournament, and if we're, ta- if we're being honest, that's the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I understand that we're talking about a program that's only been to one Elite Eight, but... I mean, do you, are your goals to make it to the Elite Eight or are your goals to be a champion? Because if your goals are to be a champion, you need to have upperclassmen or kids, guys who have experience being your best players. That's why I initially said John Fulkerson, um, and that's why we'll lean a little, a little more towards the Powell in, in terms of newcomers. Um, because you've got the other pieces in place to make at least a run. You've got an experienced post player. You, you've got, you know, you've got the elite point guard. Um, you've got all of that. Uh, you do. And I mean, heck, I mean, look at the game we just watched two weeks ago in the NCAA tournament. You're talking about a, you know, I mean, obviously Gonzaga is really good, but they they would not have. I don't think that look, Jalen Suggs may have been a transformational player. Maybe he, he may have been the exception to my particular rule. Um, 
and he probably would have been most outstanding player. I mean, heck, with just that one little sequence we saw on the Final Four game, he could have, he probably would have wrapped up most outstanding player just in that one little sequence where he blocks the shot and throws the unbelievable bounce pass for a score. Um, and but that's also, you know, like, and for all the things that um, he did, he was also surrounded by seniors and juniors and sophomores that let him just be himself. Um, good players too, not just okay players. So, like when I when I, I go to Powell because I, you're talking about a kid who I, I know last season was kind of rough for him, uh, but he started off well, and he's been through he's been through a, a few of the wars. He's been through some battles, um, and that's the type of kid who again, like he transferred. So he transferred for a reason. He may have had something to prove. And so you're talking about a kid who, you know, kind of got left out in the, in the dark. You know, with with Auburn cha- flipping their rosters, um, flipping things around, and like for me, you need a more the more upperclassmen and kids who have been through at least a year or two of experience, uh, the better for a Kennedy Chandler who can just go out there and play basketball and not have to be a Keon Johnson or Jaden Springer, where it's like, yeah, a lo- aside from you being our best players, you've also you also need to be our leaders now too. That was never going to work out. I never thought that that was going to end up being what had to happen in Knoxville last year, but that's exactly what happened at the end of the season where Springer and Johnson pretty much had to be their leaders on top of being their best players. And when you're asking freshmen to be your leaders, that's not going to work out. And so if you like, if we're talking newcomers, I'm going to say Justin Powell because Huntley Hatfield, Chandler, uh, May Shock, Adu, you know, that for that, that freshman class, that's a solid class. And, you know, there's at least one. I'm I'm assuming there's going to be two kids who are going to be gone th- uh, this time next year in that class. I'm just assuming that. And if so, but you've got a kid like Powell who can kind of be can kind of start laying the groundwork for future success for this program. So for me. Like if we're talking about the most important newcomer, then I'm going to say Justin Powell because he's the type of kid who's not just a foundational player; he's also really good too. I am a little mad at Eugene because that was I was going to choose Justin Powell. Now now I'm trying to think of a way to make a counter argument for for Kennedy Chandler because you stole a lot of the same points I was going to bring up. <laughs> uh, I I do agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I think with him, obviously. He only played, you know, ten games and only a couple in the SEC, but he still has a, you know, that's still more college experience than what Kenny Chandler or Brandon Huntley Hatfield have. That's ten more games they've played. It's a whole, no, granted a COVID off season, but he's also had a whole off season in a college program at Auburn. That's a, you know, under Bruce Pearl and his his staff there, which is a, a darn good staff. That's a <laughs> Pearl's a good coach and has a good staff. Uh, that's a that's a good, you know, it's not a bad staff to go play. It wasn't like he's playing in, in some rinky dink team or you know or anything like that and, and some small conference he's playing in the sec he has sec basketball experience i you know I, I don't think his his concussion it was from what i talked to brian stoltz who had on the podcast here it seemed like it was a it was a pretty bad concussion that he had where he was having to sit in the dark and stuff for a while and then you know took him a while to recover from that um but obviously i don't think that's going to have a a much of an impact if any 
um, by the time he suits up and is on the court for Tennessee in this upcoming season. I hope not, and you know, hopefully he's recovered and is fine. Um, concussions are awful, though, when for for anybody, it, the severity of them obviously differs. But I I think it I think it'll be Powell too. But I also, I mean, I I can understand and, and would listen to anyone who would say Kennedy Chandler just because. I think he's an extremely talented kid. Tennessee needs a a true point guard who has the the kind of more athleticism and burst that he has. Where Fiscovi is a is a decent ball handler and not a bad passer at all. He just didn't have the quickness and the ability to cut and drive to the basket. Chandler has that ability. I think that's what's really going to open things up for Tennessee's offense is that ability that he brings. Of he's not just a distributor. He's not just a guy who catches and shoots, kind of like what, what Vescovi does. He can actually penetrate and get into the in the paint and the dish it back out if he has to. Vescovi tried that and he had success and sometimes and it, it was it was hit or miss for him with that. And I, I would say probably leaning a little bit towards miss with that with his ability to do that. And that's just it is what it is. You're some some people are just more gifted athletically than the others. He he can't help that. He can't help that he's not, you know, a Jordan Bone type with that kind of really really blazing fast speed that. Um, you know, Tennessee hasn't really had a point guard too much before then and since then either, uh, since Bones left. But I think Chandler is going to open things up a lot for Tennessee and is going to play a lot of minutes, but you do have other players there who can handle the ball, like Viscovi, like Jordan James, and like Justin Powell. Powell played out of position as a freshman, but that gained him valuable experience as, as playing as, an, as, you know, as the point guard, as the main ball handler for Auburn, and didn't do a bad job of it. So even then, you can put him at, he can play the one if he needs to, he can play the two, he can play the three. I think it'll be Powell, too, and I, I think a lot of listeners will probably lean towards Kennedy Chandler, and I understand that, because he's a, a high-rated five-star, a top-20 prospect, a guy who is going to make an instant impact, you know, barring injury or anything like that, and, and he's going to play, like, I think as you said in the previous podcast, Gene, he's going to play whether he's good or bad. I mean, he, he's going to play regardless, because... Uh, they're bringing him into play. He's a high-rated kid, and he's gonna had to fill a need in this team too. So he's going to play regardless. But I think it'll be Justin Powell too. I really do. Um, as I'm as we're recording this, I just watched the numbers go up even more in Kennedy Chandler's favor on that poll on the Twitter account I put out. Uh, being excited, I, I understand. I think being excited, I am probably more excited to actually see what Kennedy Chandler does than Justin Powell. But I think Justin Powell will have the bigger impact of those two. And I think both are going to have big impacts. I just don't think that you're going to, I don't think it's going to be like one or the other. I think both are going to play a, a significant role on this team. I am curious, Gene, before we switch over to other topics, um, about Brandon Huntley Hatfield, because I, I think in a future podcast, probably, you know, earlier, later on in the summer or kind of maybe later on in the late spring here, we should kind of talk about, maybe minutes distribution and then get you know, listener feedback on that too and, and see what they think and ideal, you know, ideal lineups, all that stuff, whatever. I'm, I'm curious on how many, you know, how many minutes do you foresee Brandon Huntley Hatfield play? Because at, at most people I've talked to, I think you now talked about it too. I feel like he's a one and done. I mean, I know he's super young, but I feel like he's not coming to Tennessee to play two years. I don't think he is. So that if that's going to be the case though, if he's going to be one and done, You'd imagine he's going to play more than 15, 20 minutes a game. I mean, it, most one and dones are, you know, I mean, unless you're Kentucky, you, know, and you have a bunch of them, or, 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 you know, lately Duke and North Carolina, too. You don't typically see a, a guy go one and done if they're not playing 
you know, if they're not consistently starting or or the sixth man or whatever, I have to go look at what are some Kentucky stats here in a little bit to see, um, you know, the past few years, how many guys have had to go to the NBA one and dones that, um, I didn't say played, but I, I'd imagine, I mean, I, I'm curious your thoughts on it. I, 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 if Brendan Hillian Hatfield wants to be one and done player, they're going to have to play him. I mean, he's going to have to play at least like 20 minutes. So I, I don't know what your thoughts are on how many minutes you think he's going to play or what, what he sees. Cause obviously this is, we're still months away before the season starts. He hasn't set foot on campus. You know, we don't know how he's going to look uh, once he's in the weight room at Tennessee, once he's, you know, pr- playing and practicing with his teammates at Tennessee. This obviously can change in the next, you know, four months or five months. But I, I'm, I'm, you know, I want to hear your thoughts on it right now as we we're talking in late April, what you think the impact and role in minutes, I guess, distribution for Hatfield is going to be. Because I think that's a, a very, to me, a very curious and interesting um, situation. Man, and then you add, you add on the dynamic of kind of being at a position where there's a guy there as well who doesn't have your skill set necessarily, but can kind of do you. And, you know, like, so when you've got Huntley Hatfield, you look and we're enamored by the high ranking and all this, that, and the other, but Josiah James is a pretty good basketball player and is more experienced. And we're talking about a head coach who will lean sometimes on the, on the more experienced guys. Mm-hmm. So I, I could easily see a situation where, um, where, you know, where Huntley Hatfield just kind of has a short leash. And how's that going to play? You know, I understand everybody likes to play fantasy basketball draft here when they sit here and think about all the different rosters and all the different lineups that he can use. But, I mean, how's that going to work out when a freshman, you know, even as talented as he is, you know, doesn't hustle back on defense or doesn't do something that, you know, that Rick Barnes wants, how's that going to play out? And so I, I find it very interesting. Like I look at a kid here and in, in this day and age, I mean, it's not going to really, unless he just has a, an awful sort of season, it's not going to completely torpedo his draft stock. Uh, I mean, there are examples of kids coming in being so highly regarded and not quite living up. I mean, um, you know, as we're recording this, I mean, you know, what I, I, you know, people who are familiar with social media, um, I will say this, um, you know, BJ Boston's a person that we talk about. I mean, that is talked about. Um, thankfully, I will I will say his name because um, there are things on social media that suggest that suggests otherwise. But he is a person who is OK. And so he's a person I, I do feel as though I can speak on as far as his situation. That was a what he wasn't he like the he wasn't the SEC player preseason player of the year, but he was first team all preseason SEC. Yeah, I think he was projected as like the freshman of the year. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a top. He was projected as a top five pick in the draft, and now, I mean, God, I mean that <laughs> season was rough. Mm-hmm. It's rough, and that's some of that's going through that pressure cooker. That's Kentucky basketball, where, where they just expect that. But um, you know, it, it's not going to necessarily torpedo your draft stock. Heck, I mean, you know, my former, my still probably kind of favorite basket, you know, NBA team, the Chicago Bulls, picked Florida State six man with the number eight pick in the draft, or number yeah. four pick in the draft last year. So it, it's not going to necessarily affect them, but. 
the the question is, I mean, how, how will Rick handle a game where that kid's not doing everything that is asked of him? Like, will he be willing to? Is that kid willing to accept a role where he's playing twenty one minutes a game? Because guess what? I mean, if you're Rick, you 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 do actually have the trump card on him and say, hey, you know what? I got a kid who's been here two years who does exactly what you do. He may not shoot as well as you. I don't know. Um, but the last time I saw Josiah James, he had like 13 rebounds in the NCAA tournament. So you can get some of that production. He's probably a better – he may actually be a better playmaker because he was a point guard in high school. Um, so, like, again, like I, I think I, I find it an interesting – it. Um, we understand that Chandler is going to be handed the basketball the day he gets there. I also believe that maybe this whole situation for Huntley Hatfield could be vastly different because if you're Tennessee, you're saying, "Hey, we got." It. You're looking at um, Huntley Hatfield, and you're saying, "Hey, we got another one of you," but you're also looking at Kennedy Chandler saying, "We do not have one of you." Mm-hmm. And I, I'm yeah, and like I, I'm a big proponent of. Do you have guys who do you have a player? If you have a player in your team that has a very unique skill set, how can you use that? And like, there's been a lot of redundancy in some of the players and some of the pieces that Tennessee's had over the years, which really affects you because you can only play a certain way. Um, you know, like the skill sets of Huntley Hatfield and Josiah James are somewhat similar. Again, you can argue, like, if you want to tell me that Huntley Hatfield's better, sure. Sure, okay, cool. You win. But it's not like Josiah James is not capable of playing that exact same role. So you, if you're Rick Barnes, you can kind of hold his feet to the fire. And then the question is, how does he handle that? Can he handle that? That's why I'm intrigued to see exactly how all this stuff plays out this year. Because, like I said, fantasy basketball looks good when you're just out here you know, you know. I, look, maybe I'm just scarred from last year because I, I I proclaimed and I hate being wrong and I proclaimed that Tennessee was going to run away with the SEC, and I'm not getting. Look, man, the thing you're more of the Tennessee fan. I'm not. I'm not a Tennessee fan, so I'm out here saying it, and I'm thinking. I'm looking at it logically. Like logically, they got this. They got that. Now they got man. They got this. And those freshmen can kind of just fill their way in. They don't even have to be your best players. And then, heck, by March, they were your best player. Not only were they your best players, but you had to lean on them because you had no other offensive options. Um, so maybe I'm just scarred, but I, I just look at this situation, and I'm, I'm so intrigued by how it's handled because on paper, man, I get it. I get it. You got guys. You got guys here. You got guys there. You, you got guys everywhere. I get it. Now the question is, like, are you bringing? Can you bring in Mr. Four Star? You know, Four Star Center, ranked top fifty in the country, or whatever he is, somewhere in that range, and say, "Hey, kid, we need you to play like 10, 15 minutes a game this year." Are you willing to look at the a kid who reclassified to start college this year and say, "Hey, we need you to fill a role where you maybe play about 20, 25 minutes. You'll start some. You'll be one of our better players. You'll be productive in that time, but." Hey, yeah, but we've got another kid like you who's a junior. Or actually, I'm sorry, he's just a sophomore because they got the year back. Yeah. Um, are they? Are these kids who, in their mind, are doing Tennessee a favor? Well, specifically in like you know Huntley Hatfield's mind, 
um, are they willing to become less of themselves and fill a role which could make Tennessee better in the long run? Because there's so many ways. There are certain ways that you can use. Like you could use Huntley Hatfield and Josiah on the court together at like a quote-unquote 4-5 um, position because Huntley Hatfield is 6-9. Josiah is 6-6. Six, six. You could also, I mean, you can go with Powell at the three. You can go with Vescovi at the two or, ba- or Bailey at the two, and you can go with Kennedy Chandler at the one. And you can just run teams to death. You've got that. You do have that option. You could also go with Fulkerson at the five. Like, I don't see a scenario where you go with Badu at the five because Tennessee, the way Tennessee likes to play, I don't think Rick really wants a do out there just jacking up threes um, because he made a few in AAU. I mean, congratulations, you hit AAU threes. It was a little deeper now. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, they're probably going to be contested because it doesn't take very long for you to end up on somebody's scouting report in college. So um, I'm intrigued by it all. I-, I think Tennessee becomes one of the more intriguing teams in the country. Um, it's, you know, prognosticator's job to pump these teams up. Uh it's our job. It's our job to probably try to look at things a little more logically, um, and not fall into the hype. But I don't know. Like I said, it's look. It's not. I'll say this much. It's not a bad problem to have. But if it's not handled the right way, it could end up being a problem, and that's what you don't want to have happen. Because that also, if that negativity feeds into, um, the Bobby Mays program. What does that do for the future there? Like, are there guys? Like, I mean, I understand they think they've got their next Kennedy Chandler, who's a 2022 kid, uh, coming. And I won't really mention his name because people know people know who he is. He plays in Knoxville. Uh, you know, and he's a point guard. So they think they've got that kid coming, too. And they probably do. But, like, if you don't handle this properly with Huntley Hatfield and Chandler and those kids... Specifically, help me half because, like I said, Chandler's going to be fine. Um, what does that do down the road? And that's why this year could be so intriguing because you now have a lot of mouths you have to feed. Whereas you've gotten rid of the mouths that you don't really have to feed. You got rid of those kids. You got a lot of mouths you have to feed. Powell did not come here to sit there and hang out and play nine minutes a game. That kid was almost in, almost scoring triple, you know, getting triple doubles last year. He didn't. He doesn't come. He's not coming to, you know, just be a five point, you know, three rebound kid that you know just spots up and shoots threes all day. He didn't. So I'll be interested to see how it all works out. Like I said, it's not a bad problem to have until it becomes a problem that you have. Yeah, I, you're right. I think that's a very good way of looking at it, and I I do agree with you. This is a a very interesting situation and, and whatnot to kind of manage from a coaching perspective um, with these guys. Because like you said, it's, it's Josiah James. If he, if he plays at four, you have Fulkerson there, which I guess you could pop out Fulkerson to the five and have Huntley Hatfield at the four. But then, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting. I think he will play a decent amount of minutes. I, while you were talking, Gene, I was looking back. At, just at Kentucky, I didn't go back and look at Duke and North Carolina and Kansas and you know schools like that too. But just at Kentucky, I was curious to see the one and dones they've had and if they had any of those types of guys that were reserves and didn't really play a whole lot of minutes for the most part basically all of them with the exception of two played at least like 23 25 minutes a game who were one and dones the two exceptions were jared vanderbilt 
but he was a little different because he had injuries and he he played 14 games, uh, 17 minutes a game, almost six points, eight rebounds in those games. Uh, then he declared for the 2018 draft after one year with with Kentucky. And then you go all the way back to Cal's first year. Daniel Wharton, baby. Daniel Wharton. Yep, he played for really I think the entire season, but only averaged thirteen point two minutes a game, three points, three rebounds, and one and a half blocks, and then left after a year. So that's like he is the outlier. He's the one that I would say you know not with injuries because Vanderbilt's I think had a lot to do with injuries that year too. Daniel Wharton was the one that I could find that was truly a bench writer who didn't play that many minutes and was a one and done and I I hit, I don't remember enough back then to the, the early you know 2009-10 Kentucky season team um, but they, I mean they had a load of rush that's, that was the John Wall with Marcus Cousins and also you had Patrick Patterson Aaron Bledsoe golly that was a loaded team um, I don't remember I don't remember much about Daniel Orton I, I, looking at his his career in Wikipedia seems like he's had a pretty decorated career in the NBA B League and overseas. He, he obviously didn't play that much in the NBA. I think he's played, yeah, he played a total of 51 career games in the NBA and averaged like 2.8 points per game in those games. So didn't do a whole lot in the NBA, but I, I you know, Huntley Hatfield, I'm very, he, he to me is, I would say he and Powell are the two most intriguing guys on this roster for next season in terms of what, you know, what's their role exactly going to be? How much minutes are they going to steal away from the guys who are, you know, already on this roster who are returning, you know, how much are they stealing away from Josiah? How much are they stealing away from Victor Bailey, from Scobie? Because Forkerson's a guy, like I said, you can play him with a four or five. You don't really have a whole lot of other options at the five that are really going to legitimately take away minutes from Fulky if you put him at the five. I mean, you have Roche, you can play as a backup if you need there. I think Adu is going to, you know, learn and play some there, but I'm not expecting him to be a big min e- minutes eater that's going to steal a lot of time away from that five spot. He'll play there, and I think he'll be a good bench player for Tennessee this season. Um, but I'm not expecting him to be a, a massive contributor, but I do think he'll he'll make a role and he'll play some. But again, Fulgie's going to be playing, I think. I don't think, hopefully for Tennessee's sake, he's not playing the same amount of minutes he was two years ago because that's, as we said last podcast, that's probably not a good sign for Tennessee if you're having to have Fulgerson play 35 minutes a game, every game. If he can get more closer to that 30, 32 range consistently and maybe even less than that in, in a handful of games, that's probably better for your team. Or that probably means better things for your team that if he's not having to be the guy who's relied on to always be on the court, always be on the floor, if he has help at that front court. But I I, I agree with you. The, the Huntley Hatfield situation is going to be interesting. He and Powell, to me, are the two most intriguing guys to watch and, and see what their roles are. They're going to butt, up, butt heads up on, you know, the returning guys and see kind of what that, how that plays into it. And, you know, who's going to ride the bench more than they did last year. You know, do we see Viscovi play less minutes? I, I, do we see Bailey play less minutes? Unless he gets better in defense, I think he's a guy you, you do see less play less minutes. Or unless he bounces back and is a better shooter from three this this upcoming season like he was at Oregon. Because this, this past season was, if you look at his numbers from Oregon, um, let me pull this up really quick. Because he was, efficiency-wise, this was just a very bad year for him. I mean, obviously he was a role player and a bench player for Oregon. Didn't play nearly as many minutes as he did with Tennessee. But you look at Oregon, his first year there, and in 36 games and 17 minutes per game, essentially, he shot 36% from three. And his sophomore season, played 37 games, 19 minutes per game, shot almost 40% from three, and then this year shot basically 34% from three. So that's a pretty significant drop-off um, from you know from his sophomore year to his redshirt junior season at Tennessee. So 
I'd be intrigued real quick on that. Yeah, I'd be intrigued to see the players that he was surrounded by. Because that always, like so many times we, we look at these kids' stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know one of the players that Tennessee was kind of flirting with early in the transfer process was the Stewart kid. Um, uh, and you look at his stats, you're like, well, you know, 37% from three, how impressive is that? Uh, but then, like, he, he was, maybe some of his numbers had gone down. And, again, I always question, like, who are you surrounded by? Like if you like part of if you are a shooter, part of you being a good shooter is the fact that there are people who get you wide open shots. Mm-hmm. Like Jordan Bowden looks so much better as a junior than he did as a senior. Why? Because he had so many guys getting him wide open looks. And then early in, and I always argued early in his senior season, he was still shooting well because he had Lamonte Turner who was getting him wide open shots. And then once Turner left, all of a sudden, everybody expected Bowden to turn into Michael Jordan. And I'm like, no, he's a spot shooter who doesn't have anybody give him an open look. And then, like, you know, obviously, like, little things, little things like timing and stuff like that throw him off. You know, when, like, Vescovi was throwing passes over his head and feet were set, he had to wait an extra. I mean, so little things like that. So, um, like, I'm always intrigued by that. So I, I think that I think that the addition of Chandler, I think the addition of Powell, I think the addition of Huntley Hatfield and maybe, you know, some more growth in Josiah James, that's four guys there that can get you open looks. Yeah. And if you're, again, if you're Vescovi and if you're Bailey, you should be the happiest people in the world um, by these recent developments because these guys can get you wide open. And it's just your job to knock down the shots, but they can get you wide open. And look, if you if you hit, I mean, you hit the shot, like you look great. Like you don't have to be as productive in terms of, you know, some of those assist stats and things like that. Like, who cares? Who cares? You got you got guys on your team now. Like you got really you got really good guys. Like I'm sitting here looking at your, yeah, what, what I'm guessing Tennessee's primary rotation will be, and because Rick typically doesn't go more than eight, uh, and so you're talking about Chandler. Your guards are going to be Chandler, Powell, Vescovi, Bailey. Then you throw Josiah that can kind of play any of the top one through four spots, the top four spots, and Huntley, Hatfield, and then Fulkerson. Because I'm assuming that's your eight. Um, you may sneak to nine. Uh, maybe a dude gets a couple of minutes here and there. Um, but, again, you're talking about a big who probably needs to be developed a little bit. Um you know, maybe a dude gets some of that time. Maybe not. I, I don't foresee that happening. Uh, Euros maybe in, in some times. I mean, Euros, I think, will kind of assume the role of Derek Walker a few years ago where he maybe plays some of those early games while Rick tries to just decide, do I think I can use his kid? I, just, and, I was laughing thinking about Euros' personality and Derek Walker's personality, and that's like oh, yeah, yeah, two that's, dichotomies right there. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um you know, like who knows exactly what that turns into, and I mean, there are going to be odd men out of this uh, of this entire scenario, uh, and you know, maybe the Mayshack kid, uh, he's probably a little way. Where are we at with Olivier Kamwa? Yep. Can Kamwa get some of those minutes because he's probably more of just a guy who's going to kind of, you know, at his size, what's he, what's he going to be? What's he going to do? Can he find a way to get? Can he crack that rotation? Can he find? Can he still 
some of those, you know, quote unquote, backup post minutes, whatever you want to call it. Because uh, the fact, again, it's not like Tennessee plays three out. They play four. So, Olivier, either you develop a perimeter game, which you don't have now, or you develop a back-to-the-basket game, which you don't have a good one right now. But you don't have to develop one of the two because now there's somebody that there's somebody there ready to push. There really wasn't that person there for him. You know, like there wasn't a backup minus uh, Fulkerson unless I'm just forgetting him. No, I mean, the Anasiki kid. I mean, no, like yeah, there right. wasn't a guy there. So you didn't have anybody that could push you. Yeah, if you now, weren't playing Fulkerson, you were playing small ball basically last year. Yeah. Now you kind of do. Like you kind of have somebody that can push you. And uh, like Fulkerson can kind of make you better. But now you've got a kid that if you're messing up, if this kid, now look, this kid's as much of a project as you are. From everything that we've been told and things that I've read, this kid, you know, this is a dude kid is just as much of a project. And this is a kid who loved, like, look, half of his videos were him jacking threes. I should probably shouldn't say jacking because he actually shot decently well. Yeah. But, I mean, when half of your highlight tape is you shooting threes at 6'11", uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, like at some point, you know, like Rick Barnes, like I love, I love that shot. But let's let's find our way down here, five feet in. I'm, I'm glad that you've shown that you will shoot that shot. And you know, a lot of coaches will tell you, like a, a lot of college coaches will say, until I see you hit this shot this consistently in practice, I'm not going to give you the leeway to shoot it in the game. Uh, if they're just not going to do it, like you know, and like little things that coaches want to, you know, want you to work on, they're not going to feel comfortable unless you practice that shot. And like, is he going to be practicing his post game or his threes? Because to play, you're going to need to work on your post game. But to look good in practice, and maybe when you're walking off, walking off the practice court, and maybe there's some media there to watch you, if you want to look good at that point. You can jack some threes all you want to. Hit another one. Catch and shoot another one. Who cares? Keep on going. That's not going to get you on the court. Not for this team. Unless they bring in somebody else next year. Unless they bring somebody, some seven-footer who's an established post presence. And now, but now you have to go fight Josiah James and Brandon Huntley Hatfield for playing time. Let's see how that works out for you. Because I got news for you, kid. One kid's a junior, and the other is like was the number one power forward in the 2022 class. Mm-hmm. You ain't playing over them. <laughs> uh, really quickly here to close out this conversation before we move on to um, some really good Lady Vols news and interesting news. You asked about you know who who was Victor Bailey playing with at Oregon his sophomore year. That was the team that had Bull Bull that he played nine games and they got hurt. Um, but you also had Lewis King or yeah Louis King Lewis King Peyton Pritchard. You had an experienced big and Paul White who actually was a pretty good three point shooter. Um, you had a freshman, Will Richardson, who wasn't a good three-point shooter at the time as a freshman, um, but turned into a very solid contributor and a sharpshooter from three over the last two seasons. He, His sophomore year shot 47% from three and then shot uh, just over 40% this past year for Oregon. So to your point, Gene, I mean, th- that's, you know, not the absolute best college lineup of all time, but that's, that's a pretty solid lineup with Lewis King, Pritchard, Paul White. Um, you guys had Kenny Wooten and, like I said, Will Richardson playing um, as, a, as a guy there too so and like I said Bull Bull got hurt so their rotation got knocked down a peg there but 
that's not a bad rotation. That's not a bad, um, you know, group of five, six guys playing along with Victor Bailey. So that, to your point there, he had a pretty solid group and a guy, Peyton Pritchard, who, who was a really good college point guard who um, was good at distributing the ball and, you know, could do things. And you had guys like Lewis King and Paul White, who both were shooting 38% from three. And Victor Bailey, you know, shot just about 40% from three that year too. So I had other guys you could give the ball to to shoot the three, other guys who could do other things. Um, so they, they, like you said, if Tennessee has more of that this year, if they have more guys around Victor Bailey who are capable of shooting three, like Micah Candy Chandler, who's capable of distributing the ball, you would, I would imagine you'll see his numbers go up, um, you know, be better than what they were this year. And that's going to be the same for, you know, probably Viscovi, who although, you know, although he, I think, I wouldn't say he had a, this was this past year was a setback for him. But I don't think he progressed the way people thought he might. Uh, he still shot the ball well from three, though. He was still a consistently good three point shooter for the most part. He had a couple of games where he didn't shoot well, but he was still probably your your best consistent three point shooter. Because Jaden Springer had a good efficiency, he just didn't shoot that many. He shot like one or two a game usually. Whereas with Scobie, like every shot he's putting up was a three. Um, I'm moving amazed. on now. To, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, real quick. Last thing, I'm amazed at just how consistent. The Scobie stats were from year one to year two. Yeah, his, I know. All of his percentages slightly, three-point percentage went up slightly, field goal percentage went up slightly, minutes went down by a minute, free throw percentage stayed around the same. I mean, it, it's, uh, I mean, like, it's it, it's impressive to see that. And, um, yeah, again, like, I think, again, I said at the beginning of the year, uh before the season ever started, I thought Vescovi was at his best as a spot on a shooter. I, I don't know what people. Maybe I just saw things. I, I saw him differently. Um, I didn't. I never saw him as a point guard. Uh, I watched him hit shots and thought that's what he was. And uh, who knows? Maybe that's the role he ultimately assumes this year. But uh, we'll see. I mean, obviously Tennessee's always trying to do things to enhance the roster. You know, bringing him in in the middle of the season was great. Um, and as we segue to Lady Balls, obviously they've done they've done some things to make themselves, you know, like that that could make them better uh, this year. That I know you're about to talk about. Yeah, well, you brought it up. Let's go ahead and transition into it. Uh, Lady Balls, we mentioned last podcast, brought in Samantha Williams as an assistant coach, which I thought was a really good move for them. And uh, on, I think this actually happened Wednesday night. Um, I didn't end up seeing it until Thursday morning, but. Another big move for Tennessee and Lady Vols and Kelly Harper uh, confirmed Thursday that they're bringing in graduate transfer Alexis Dye, who is from Birmingham, played for Troy, and was named the um, Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year, the Sunbelt Conference Tournament Most Outstanding Player, and was a you know Sunbelt All First Team, all this different stuff. Um, she, on paper, I did I you know I didn't see her play any, unfortunately. I will admit I haven't, but on paper looks like I think an outstanding addition for the Lady Vols. Um, averaged a double-double this past year. Averaged 16 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, she had the most double-doubles in women's basketball in this season. Had 23 in her 28 games. So there's only five games last year she didn't have a double-double. Led uh, all of college basketball and women's basketball in total rebounds with 352. And was seventh in the nation in rebound average. Shot about 50% from the field and 74% from the free throw line. Um, she and, and a game that'll interest Lady Vol fans and Vol fans who you know fall women's athletics too women's basketball in the NCAA tournament game that Troy played against Texas A&M that was a very close 84-80 loss for Troy she put up 26 and 11 um, so and then she also I think 
put up 20 and 11 against Mississippi State uh, as well, maybe in the either earlier that season or the season before last. But uh, again, a double double against two SEC teams. That's pretty good, especially looking at with being Texas A&M being, you know, one of the top teams in women's basketball this past year. You know, I think this is exactly what the Lady of Alls needed. We, we talked in a previous podcast how, you know, you're not going to be able to replace what Renaya Davis did for you in the transfer portal. But I think this is about as close as you could have gotten to replacing, you know, getting, I think, a, a consistent score and getting someone who is going to be a scoring threat and actually a legitimate offensive threat for you in the post. Because the Lady Vols haven't had really a legitimate, like, actual big post player be a legitimate offensive weapon in a few years. Tamari Key, I think, can develop more into that. I think she's got a very high ceiling. But I think Alexis Dye is a an absolute baller. I think this is a, a great addition for the Lady Vols. Um, she's someone who, again, they'll fit into the mold of Lady Vols ever since Pat Summit's, you know, start of the program have been big on rebounding, rebounding, rebounding. And Alexis Dye fits that mold perfectly. You know, I don't expect her to keep those same averages of 16 and 12 when she comes to Tennessee, but I do expect her to still get, you know, multiple double-doubles, assuming she stays healthy and everything, obviously, but multiple double-doubles as a, as a Lady Vol. And I think this this really is a very good last piece, last addition um, to the Lady Vols roster this offseason. What we talked about before, Gene, we thought was going to be, you know, pretty good next year. Um, we didn't know if they would go address something in the transfer portal or not. And then lo and behold, they did. And I think this is a, I think Alexis Dye is a, a very good addition for this team. So I'm going to have to be the person that throws the wet blank and all this stuff. I, I, I knew you would. Go I, ahead. I, I just, um, so I'm watching her play right now. I'm watching some mm-hmm. of her highlights. Uh, to be clear, I don't think she's a bad basketball player. You, you're not product. You're not that productive at the Division One level and not be, a, and not be a good basketball player. But I'm also looking at a girl who was really, really good in the Sun Belt. And yeah, that's I, fair. I know, and what I know about, and that's no disrespect to the Sun Belt. It's more knowing because I had a chance to see Troy play this year, knowing how Troy plays. It's it's very it, it's a very wide open style of offense, um, to where you can get away with being a six foot post player in that league. Like the highlights that I the the few highlights that I did pay attention to, like Troy averaged eighty six points a game, but they shot forty one percent from the field. Hmm. Shot, um, like they are just attack 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 and you can get away with a lot of that stuff when you have smaller players who are just just dogged presences um they force 19 turnovers a game i noticed they had two players average double figure rebounds not just die uh i do think that she is a good player i do think she's a player who has a chance to be productive in some capacity. I'm not sure exactly what it is because with all due respect, she's a six foot post player who never shoots threes. Never. She shot one last year. Um, so at that size, like, like I understand the production is going to go down, but it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 you said that you don't expect her to average 17 and 13, which is essentially what she averaged this past season. But 
like unless her maybe her whole game evolves and if her whole game evolves then i will sit back and i will say hey you know what i was wrong but as with what i'm looking at as far as what the take that she's put out there whereas like a mid-range jump shot it's it's just grabbing you know she averaged like three and a half looks like about almost four offensive rebounds a game which means she's getting a little you know, she's got a lot of points on you know, putbacks and stuff, which tells me that she is just a relentless type of player, which is a good piece to have. I just don't know exactly how groundbreaking this is in the in the grand scheme of things that um, they brought in a six foot post player who right now can't shoot beyond like fifteen conference. Feet. Like if this was high school, you got. But Tennessee two years ago had the tallest team in the country. Up, Tennessee starting one of their point guards right now is what six two in Jane in Jordan Horston. So you that, got that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So that's the type of play those. And look, you can people can you can argue how good of a player or how frustrating whatever that Jordan Horston is, but those are the sorts of players. I mean, you know, Tamari Key is six five. You know, she was. I think she's taller than that by now. <laughs> And like that's just, those are the sorts of players that you're bringing in, um, like the type of I mean, there's not that many six foot post players. I mean, look at Aaliyah Boston in South Carolina. That's tough. That's who you got to go against. Mm-hmm. Like some of these bigs from the top levels. I mean, like again, Tennessee's uh, the Texas A&M game. I get that, and it looks great. Um, but I just. You know, one player having a great game in the NCAA tournament against a team that they were expected to lose to. You know, we've been writing that story for how many years with NCAA with March Madness? Uh, <laughs> like, it, like, look, I think that she's a good player. I don't want that to be confused. And, of course, the very first time that we have to say something that's mildly um, opinionated, I'm out here crapping on the signing, and I don't want that to be the case. I just... I look. I'm not more optimistic about Tennessee's chances because they brought in the Sun Belt Player of the Year. When the Sun Belt Player of the Year is a six foot post player who has not shown an ability to shoot um, beyond the free throw line. Um, if that's just an ability that she just not, hasn't has, hasn't had a chance to show off yet, so be it. Um, look. I won't say I was wrong. I'll say, look, man, show me where, show me a video of her actually shooting a three in a game. Look, I'm looking at 0 for 1 from 3 last year. That's what I have to base it on. I, I can't base it on anything else. You know, like I, I don't know what she was the year before. Um, I'm assuming she was pretty good the year before. Uh, for her career, she's averaged 13 and 11. And guess what? She ain't passing. She ain't out there to be. She's not there to get you the ball. Mm-hmm. Like you get the ball to her. I mean, twenty-five assists last season. Like that's that's essentially what you you've gotten now. Uh, Fifty-seven games. She attempted one three. Um, she's got thirty-eight assists. One hundred twenty-seven turnovers. Now they turn the ball over a lot. I noticed that. Um, she averaged thirteen and eleven for her career. So productive there, productive, and that was a good Troy team. And they get out and they run and they play hard, 
and it's fast and, and it works. I just, I think there's a difference between. I'm, I, I draw I, I draw a line in the sand and, and and make a distinction between being a productive player at your college at your college and being a player who is transcendent wherever they go. Like if you told me she was a six foot guard, she put those numbers up, you got me. Even if she can't shoot, but she's out there creating for teammates. I am not. I will not say a word. I'm saying that I'll say that's a great addition. Let's go to work. But, I mean, her first year in college, she had more block shots and assists, and she's six feet tall. I think she'll be a good piece. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't go beyond her being a good piece right now until I actually see her do something other than – until I see her do that stuff in games that are going to be important for this Tennessee basketball team this season, which means – the SEC games and the big non-conference games. I don't know if they're playing UConn this year. Whatever. Those are the sorts of games because now you don't just get one or two or three of them. You now have no fewer than 18 of those games that truly matter. Truly matter. That's just the 18 league games. Tennessee's non-conference schedules, they always play you know, the creme de la creme. Like, is she going to be able to be that same sort of productive person? Look, if she averages 16 and 13 next year, we'll hear a complaint from me. <laughs> I'll be stunned. I, I'll be honest. I'll be stunned. I'll say I was wrong. I didn't know how she could be that productive at that size in the SEC. But as it stands, I don't know how she's going to be that productive at that size in the SEC. I think this will be... Uh, the, our first big point we really disagree on, Gene. Because I, I, I think I was too strong with the praise when I first started out here. Because I, I don't, you know, no one's going to fill Rye Davis's shoes this past season. But I think, I think this is, a, I think she is a strong addition to the roster. And watching your highlights, it, it is really weird to me. Like you said, you have a six foot forward guard, whatever that shot one three this past year, and that doesn't, you know, doesn't shoot the three. That that is odd to me. But she does still shoot the ball well, and I, I watched a couple different highlight videos and it's not just all attacking the, around the, you know, within five feet of the rim. She shoots a, a pretty jump shot from, uh, from the elbow, from the, from the top of the key and stuff like that. I, I think she has a good overall game. She runs the floor really well for what I've, from different things I saw. It does well in transition, but another point you point out, she turns the ball over a lot. I think she had like, uh, what three or turnovers per game or something like that last year. Um, Tennessee Lady Vols, they don't need any more help turning the ball over. That's been a big issue for them for the last, gosh, feels like seven, eight years at this point. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I would just, I don't know. I, I, I know you, I know you said that you, you still think she's a good player and that she's going to be a good addition to this team. I just think maybe I'm valuing her a little bit more and you're valuing her a little bit less. But I, again, that's fine. We don't have to agree on everything. I think she's yeah. going to be, yeah. And again, my my thing is, my question is, again, I look, I try to look at everything logically. So I I ask myself, what is a six foot post player who has not shown much of an ability to shoot beyond fifteen feet? And again, look, fifteen feet is a mid range jump shot. That's foul that range. And I look, I saw clips of her hitting that shot, taking one dribble to her left and shooting a jump shot. I, I mean, I'm looking at it now. Um, you know, um, 
Could she be Grant Williams? Because that's essentially what you're asking her to be. Yep, an undersized big. Yeah. And, and you know the difference is Grant Williams had a post game, so you knew exactly kind of what that was. Like again, I'm looking at a player who you know who went JUCO, which means they've had to fight for everything. Then they go to Troy. They have two productive seasons. I get like I don't want this to be. I don't think that she. I don't think that she is going to be any good. I don't want that to be the narrative of what I'm suggesting here. Right. What I'm asking is, how does that make you better? Everything that I'm always going to ask is, how does that make Tennessee better? If I'm asking it when, when we have these discussions on a podcast, like how are what is this addition going to do to make you better? If you're just if you're just talking about it, you're rolling her in there to be a a, depth, a piece of depth, you know, okay, cool, I got that. But you, you I mean like if you look at that roster next year, you've got Burrell, you've got Keith, Horson settling in, you, you've got some pieces there all over the court. So how is this person going to make you better? Because you can do some stuff. In a lot of these games, and look, she's shown an ability to score in bunches against good teams. So I, I'm not saying she can't do it, but can she do it consistently enough to make you better? Can you count on her? Like what I can count on right now with this Tennessee basketball team is that Ray Burrell is going to give you scoring, and that Tamari Key is going to give you defense. Mm-hmm. Everything else. There's a lot of questions there that you that still have left to be answered. That doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that there aren't players to answer those questions. It just means that I know those those questions have not been answered because that'll determine how good you are as a team. How many questions do you have to be to answer? I mean, if, if people listen to this podcast, let's have this little quick little thought experiment. Whether it's the men's men's team or the women's team. Look at every single piece and say, how does that make you better? And if you have a bunch of repetitive answers, you don't have a good team. If, if the answer to your question is the same question for this player A, I mean, player B, as it is for player A, then you don't have a good team. Because guess what happens when player A doesn't work and player B doesn't work? He's doing the exact same thing A does. So you got to change that. You can't go with that route. You can't go with that option. Um like I said, and so that's where I'm going to have my concerns because that question, look, you're not going to replace Renata Davis, but can you find some level of production similar? Because if you're telling me you've got a six foot post player in there who maybe a, an okay ball handler, okay, maybe that's not Davis. Um, not nearly a shooter. That's not Davis. Um, I mean, and probably an equal has shown to be an equal rebounder at their level. That that's to be fair. Like you know, Davis averaged like eight or nine rebounds one year. Uh, the last year that I covered the Lady Vols, um, obviously, Di averaged thirteen. I think it's the, it has the potential of being a nice piece. But she should be working on her long range. She should have started working on her long range shooting yesterday because that's going to get you on the court a lot sooner if you can just show an ability to hit some of those shots. Look, could be a good piece. I just, 
I have I have my questions because of what I've seen, what my two eyes have seen um, her do. Uh, good a good piece doesn't make you better. That's my only question. And I think that's two separate discussions, and uh, so I, we're, we may be saying the exact same thing. But I've just taken it to the. I've already tried to advance the conversation to does that does that piece that you just brought in make you a better basketball team? And that's what I can't answer, and I don't think I don't think I can answer yes to right now. No, I think that's fair. Honestly, um, I don't think you can answer that fairly, honestly, just yet either. Um, I do. Th- I I think she will, but again, I'm using the word think there. We don't know. I I think she'll fill a. I think she'll have a role in this team, but I, I think you make good points there. I mean, she's gonna. You're playing. Uh, you have Ray Burrell, who's six one, who's you know an inch taller than you and plays consistently in the post. Obviously you have Tamari Key who's six five, that's that they're six six, that's a totally different story. But Tess Darby is a six one sophomore who she played in the post. I mean I wa- she didn't play a ton this past year, but I remember watching her playing the post. Horston, as you mentioned, six two and plays point guard or plays guard as a sh- you know, off off ball and, and Mara Suarez is six two and plays a guard forward role, like a, more of a like a, a three four type of role. Um so yeah, and you've got some uh, you know some really talented freshmen coming in too, who uh, a couple of post players and stuff that are that are going to take some minutes there. So I th- I, I, it's going to be, I think she's a good addition. I don't think she is bad for the roster. I don't think she's going to have like a no you know, like an, okay. an, an EJ, EJ Anasiki type of role. Where, you know, I thought EJ Anasiki was going to be a good addition for the men's team, and obviously it didn't work out. I, I don't think that'll happen here. But again, you know, you, you never know what you're getting when you're going. Unless they just absolutely balled out and, you know, were lights-out player in a mid-major level, those typically transfer fairly well to, you know, high major. But she was really very good. She was obviously, I think, the best player on Troy's team. It was a Sunbelt Player of the Year this past year. Mm-hmm. But it, it's still a little different than getting a guard who, you know, shot 40% from three and averaged, you know, 20 points a game. That 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 translates a little differently, I think, a little better than a, a undersized forward like what EJ Anasicki was coming to a high major program where there are big bodies in the SEC on both men's and women's side. It, there just are. You're, you're, you're going to be hitting, banging on some big bodies on every single team you're playing. You, even the bad ones are going to have some athletic uh, bigs and uh, athletic players and some, and some big bigs. So no, I think you raised some valid points. Like you said, you're not saying she's going to be a bad player. It's just how much does this really help the team with the makeup of the roster I tend to say she'll be a good addition, but again, we don't know. I thought EJ Anasicki was going to be a good addition for the men's team, and that did not work out. So, well, and the, you, ne- yeah, you never know. A decent comparison. I mean, I mean, the mm-hmm. men, never shot the three either. Yeah, the men actually almost they flirted with a decent comparison to this girl, and the Gardner kid from East Carolina. Yeah, and you know that you know, there was some flirtation there, and I get it. Um, but yeah, like I, again, I just look at a case where. I just don't know how how well undersized post player. She's not going to be affected by the speed of the game. No. Because Troy played fast. Troy played fast. So she's not going to be affected by that. And I think sometimes that can skew some stuff because if you're playing fast, I don't know if Tennessee necessarily plays with that same sort of space, I mean, pace. They don't, matter of fact. Um, like They're not going to play with the same sort of pace that she's accustomed to. So you're, all of a sudden, those shots are going to be a little harder to come by. 
And I mean, like you've got you've got Burrell, who is going to be a primary scoring option that team. You've got Horston, who obviously took a, a a pretty solid leap in terms of just her decision making last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, she'll never be great at it. She's always going to try something that will probably fail miserably. But that's just her nature. She'll also do some stuff that really works. Um, and so it, it looks, like I said, I always say, it looks good that you brought in the Sun Belt Player of the Year. It, it does. It, it does. Um, because you've obviously got spots available. And... Uh, so I, I just will have to see how I just have to see how it works because I, I don't know I, I don't I just don't know exactly how well that piece meshes and if you're a team that already struggles to really take the top off of defenses and shooting. Um, Bringing in a, that that seems like that's your your primary focus. Like you shot thirty percent from three last year. Thirty. I understand that the numbers are a little different. Like, but and and one player, one player shot forty percent herself in Ray Burrell. Mm-hmm. So, God, like, and she's still there. I mean, heck, Renata Davis was down to twenty six percent from three, but she at least shot seventy seven of them. And she has shown an ability to hit some of those in the past. Yep. So, like, that's that's all I'm saying. Like, is there another player that's going to step up um, that nobody knows about that's going to be, all of a sudden become a great shooter? Because last time I, I covered the team two years ago, Kelly's first year, Jesse Rennie was supposed to be that person. She was one for 14 this year. She may have Yeah. Been, yeah I'm like, that's you're kind of leaning on a player like that to give you shooting and that person didn't give you any shooting. Um, and that was supposed to be your, that was supposed to be your niche. And what's weird about that is she saw 46% her first year. 46% from three. Right. Yeah, it, it was weird seeing how much she dropped off this past year. So I don't know. Like, I, I just don't know. Like if you're going to have all these big post players and stuff in there, like, do you have somebody, you know, like that can hit a shot whenever, um, yeah, whenever everybody collapses and stuff? And like, you don't have to be Stanford and have five players out there shooting threes, you know, capable of shooting threes. I saw that Stanford Tennessee game two years ago. Um, they just went five out and put girls six five in the corner that were just knocking threes down left and right. And it was impressive. Uh, you don't have to be that, but you have to at least show an ability to hit that shot on occasion. Because guess what they're going to do? When people realize that you can't make that shot, they're going to give you that shot. And is this Tennessee team good enough to make people pay? And if they're not, then you've got to find pieces that will make you better. And when you were ranked, I'm almost there. Sorry. Uh, when you were ranked as bad as they were, which looks like they are somewhere between 151 and 200 in three-point field goal, yeah, 185 in three-point field goal percentage, and you don't shoot a lot of them. Um, you need to at least be effective with those that you have, 
and which means you got to have people that can hit them. So that's all I'm saying. Like that's all. Like it, it's not. Look, I'm a big proponent of people taking steps in their career, and so I think this is a great opportunity for Alexis to. And I think she, and I and I'm happy for her because, like I said, I'm always happy when kids take you know get an opportunity to play college basketball and, and chase dreams. So, like, my only indictment is from a team perspective, not an individual one. Like, I think this is great for her. I just don't know how her current skill set joining this team makes this team better for next year. Yeah, I've been looking at the stats and evaluation of of Layball's incoming freshman, and it seems like I I don't know that any of I, I maybe. Uh, Maybe Brooklyn Miles brings in that she she's apparently <laughs> reading the evaluations of her. It seems like one of the fastest players in in, yeah. in the in the nation right now. Um, but I'm not entirely sure about her three point shooting percentage. Sarah Puckett is a forward and is listed as having a really good offensive game. I don't, but I can't find the stats on her. But Kai Wynn didn't have a great three point shooting percentage out of high school. Um, it's a post player. Yeah, it, it's and like then, six two six three post player if I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, again, though, you mean, but she. I think one of the the things mentioned her that she has a, a decent like mid range and out in the perimeter game, but they, yeah, Puckett and Carolyn Stripling both are, are you know post players, so I'm not expecting them to go shoot a bunch of threes. So maybe Miles does, but I, I don't think Kaya does unless that's something that's grown with her, you know, since the end of her senior season to now. I, I don't know, but it's all good points. I I, I things are all good points. I, I you know, this team just both teams the men's and women's teams need a three-point shooting this offseason they both did not have great years um shooting the three ball so i think gina has realized what time it is how long we've been recording so i think we should probably uh hit the end button here because we've been talking yeah, for a while me, and i just realized that let me, let me say one last thing obviously yeah, i talked talk around it earlier but with it being confirmed now i mean prayers up to uh the kentucky sports family um terrence clark you know, their freshman guard that was going to the NBA. Uh, it's been confirmed that he passed away in a car accident. Um, uh, there's some other speculation about some, maybe BJ Boston was with him, or but maybe I think I read he was actually in the car behind him. So obviously, if that's if that was the case, um, you know, prayers to him too, because I think those two grew up and were close. Um, and so to actually witness what happened I, i'm praying that's not the truth i'm praying that there's that's just more speculatory but um i mean speaking to the terrence clark situation you know adrian wojnarowski has reported it uh there's been comment from rich paul uh, terrence clark had just signed with clutch sports um so like it's very it's so definitely you know so i understand that rivalries and fan bases are kind of crazy and stuff like that. But I think there's sometimes that it's just bigger than basketball. And uh, this is one of those times because that's a very unfortunate thing. The kid was 19 years old and um, he's on around. I mean, and that's, and obviously he was about to, he was about to live out his dream. He was what, I think the draft is three months from now or whatever it is. He was that close. And just like that or two months from now, and just like that, it's gone. So, yeah, I just wanted to drop that in there. Like I said, I, I talked to Wad around it earlier because we didn't want to, you know, the thing you and I talked about it before, we didn't want to really say anything until there was something really to be said. Um, Twitter obviously has a way of breaking news, which is sometimes not good. 
we were kind of reliving the Kobe thing and where we were when all that was happening last year. And I was actually covering the Tennessee Lady Vols basketball game when that came out. And the, the details were so crazy that it just kind of caused my head to spin because there were people that were allegedly in the, in the plane crash that weren't there. And uh, so we wanted to wait until things kind of came out. And so now that it's kind of out there, then just wanted to kind of comment on that before we shut this thing down. Yeah, I hate that. I- I hate that so much. Uh, yeah, it, it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. Um, again, prayers to him and his family. As you mentioned, Adrian Wojnarowski reported it and said his his mom was at his side when he passed. So, man, I just man, I hate that so much. Like like you said, it, it, this transcends basketball, but just the whole the whole thing of looking like you said his career. It, it was about to take a massive step forward. You know, he's about to get paid. He was about to go and start a career he'd been training for since he was little and now obviously it's all gone it's just that it's awful and i hate to you know in the podcast on such a somber note but it's like you said we didn't want to talk about it until things really got confirmed because we didn't want to speculate on anything but now that it has i i say i i think we'll go ahead and end the podcast here i'm not going to do any self-promotion or anything like that just want to end it here with saying you know prayers for terrence clark's family and and you know again this transcends sports for Kentucky, you know, all the Kentucky fans, Kentucky athletics and all that stuff too, just pray for them. Cause this, you know, this is a hard time for them, a hard time for everyone involved with all this family, friends, fans, everybody. So yeah, I, I just want to end the podcast here on the summer note and, and not ended that one. Well, let's, like let's that. say just, this, yeah. I mean, if you've listened this long, you know that we try <laughs> to keep this thing, you know, kind of, you know, even killed and nice. I mean, the, it's just so, you know, obviously this ended on a somber note, but yeah, as we're recording this, all of these, like as we're about to start this, all these things were starting to happen. I mean, we literally started this uh, conversation before we started recording, talking about it. Um, you know, obviously it's it's such an unfortunate thing. And like, I'm not, we're not trying to, you know, it's, it's a somber note, but... Um, we also, this isn't us. I just think that sometimes the circumstances call for things to be more. Like if you've listened, yes. if you've listened for as long as you, as Nathaniel and I uh, tend to just kind of carry on, I'm looking at the timer and I'm stunned if you've stared this long from when I'm looking yeah. at the number. But I mean, you you know what this podcast is really about. Like you know, so. Um, we don't need to self-promote tonight. You know where to listen. Nope. You know you know what's up. You know where we are. Uh, we certainly thank you all for listening because um, you know you you certainly give us the reason to keep on going and, and keep on recording these things. Uh, like I you know seeing interactions, the thing will tagging me and Twitter interactions and getting a chance to just kind of talk with certain people uh, has been really cool. Um, I don't know if we ever thought this was going to be the case when we started this thing eight months ago, however long ago it was. And especially, I mean, when we rebranded it a couple months ago, or however long ago it was. Um, excuse me. Um, not don't know exactly if there was a plan, but uh, certainly appreciate all the people that have chosen to listen. And you know, you know, hopefully, um, you know, today, you know, this last thing is obviously just so such sad. It's sad, but. That wasn't going to change. Um, yeah, and I, I didn't think it would be fair to not even mention something as we're recording this, and it's something happening. Yep. And it's an SEC school, 
and it's a mm-hmm. school that Tennessee fans are, are familiar with. So, uh, no, I, it, I appreciate you. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I, I wanted to talk about it, but we didn't want to, like you said, didn't want to speculate on anything before it's finalized. So, yeah, again, you know, prayers out to Terrence Clark's family and, and Kentucky Nation and everything. And, and, and any of you who, you know, knew, it, I don't know if anyone knew Terrence Clark listening to the podcast, but, you know, just, I don't know. I was going to say, I hope you all have a listening, have a great morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this. I, I hope you all have a great day. Reach out to loved ones, tell them you love them, you know, just do all that, all that stuff. Again, like Gene said, thank you so much for all your support for the show. We will be back next week for a new episode, but again, that'll be then and this is now. So thank you all so much. We'll talk to you guys later.